It's time for truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's time for truth exists to glorify God through the edification of his saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I'm your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I am joined in studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. Good eye, mates. That's another way, of course, of saying uh, good day, hello to our friends. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, wherever you may be. And whenever you may be listening, we want to thank you for making us part of your day. We appreciate all of our listeners, and we hope that this is both an informative time and at least moderately entertaining. We, we hope that you enjoy listening as well as finding it valuable. We hope that you enjoy listening and are able to make this part of your routine. And uh, we're, we're grateful for this opportunity. We enjoy doing this uh, for you, and uh, it's also beneficial for us to go through this um, effort at putting this podcast to- together. Uh, before we get into our topic for today, Jim, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing good. Thank you for that Australian introduction. I feel like I drove to Australia and back. <laughs> so I just, uh, as many of you know, my father passed away, and I drove to Florida for his memorial service and to spend time with my family and and do the things that you need to do as as you go through death and that's uh, mourn remember and then present the hope of the gospel so that's that was my intention of driving there uh, but it was five thousand eight hundred and twenty three miles in fourteen days and it's, well of six days total of driving yeah. three there and three back yeah right four there and three back four there yeah. and three back yeah so and yeah that that's right driving far less far less than that and a, a lot of long days on the way back because my desire to get back was strong, but it's interesting, Danny. I was, I was, as I was driving back, I was torn because, you know, you're there with your birth family and you're mourning your father, and, you know, my my want or my desire was to to be with them and be with my mom and and understand that. At the same time, my want and desire was to get back. You know, I wanted to get back to my wife, my boys, and I'll talk more about that in a second. The grandchildren, but also my church family, my my eternal family. And so, um, you know, I was really torn on, on what I was going through. And I, I did take a three-hour detour to Austin. So I took a, a three-hour detour to have a two-hour dinner with Mark. And some people will say you're crazy for doing that because you added to your trip. And my answer would be that that's what dads do. And uh, and I'm glad I stopped in. Um, you know, Mark moved to Texas. He was here in, in Boise and, and moved. And that's the reason for the morning beard. And the beard is still there and it is ornery because I haven't trimmed it in a while. Um, but the, I think the COVID lockdown was harder on people than we really understand. The idea of isolating people uh, goes against our design. It goes against God's design of people. And those desires that I had to be with my family and with my eternal family, it, it's right. And you talked about this on Sunday night and by the way, if you're not coming to Sunday night, you're missing some good teaching and preaching because, you know, Eve was created first for relationships. It's it's not good for us to be alone. And so uh, I got to go down there and just see how he's doing. He's been down there for three and a half months now uh, on his job for two and a half months. And it's amazing how much better he looked. He's going into the office. He's being around people. He's interacting with people. 
I was talking to some women, which is a good thing. Um, he had a friend come down uh, that he went to college with from Vermont, uh, a nice young man that he graduated with uh, that runs a dairy farm in Vermont. Um, he's having to shut the dairy farm down because of government regulations. That's a whole whole nother podcast. Um, but they visited a church together, and now Mark is looking at that church. So I'm glad I went because I got to see Mark's continence. I got to hear that he's looking at another church. Now I can look at that, and he asked me to do that. And so, you know, those are all good things. Um, but ultimately, you know, we've got, uh, as I reflected on, on my time with dad, um, at the memorial services, this eternity is built into our hearts. We talk about that and it's written in Ecclesiastes. Uh, Danny, thank you for sharing that message that you had done a while back because it got me into Ecclesiastes, but you know, we have eternity built into our hearts, but we have this conflict of sin. And I was thinking about the Israelites cause you're teaching through, through the book of Exodus and, you know, as they were leaving, they were free. They were free to leave. God was taking them out of Egypt, but their mindset wasn't free. And we we will wrestle with that while we're here on earth. And we need to live. This is, this is the revelation I had. We need to live with an eternal perspective. You know, we were laughing at some of the Twitter wars that were going on with eschatology and how they posted a MacArthur sermon on we lose but the reality is, is we don't. I mean, the, the ultimate story is we win and we need to live that way. We need to live for eternity and really get our priorities straight. And I think that's the thing that I took out of it is, is how do we do that? How do we live for eternity? And I was blessed many years ago. Uh, I think it was Mark when we lost a dog and uh, he asked, do dogs go to heaven? And I'm like, oh, I, I don't know that. Let me go find out. So you, you go to the Bible and you start looking around and I struggled. Well, I came across a great book by Randy Alcorn and it's called heaven. And, uh, it's, it's a really great book. It, it, it's a great theology of the study of heaven and it's so much bigger and richer than most people think. And we need to do a better job of, of living for eternity. We need to do a better job of presenting what heaven and eternity is such that we can really, um, look forward to that and really live that way here on earth. So that's, that's kind of my big takeaway is, uh, for me, it's, I know it, but I need to share that more. I need to share how great eternity is. And you and I talk about, you know, our walk in sanctification. And one of the ways we do that is we have a bigger view of Lordship by presenting a bigger view of eternity. Mm -hmm. So that's my takeaway from the trip and really going to enjoy digging into that study that I had done many, many years ago, but it's so relevant for today. And you know, we live with it knowing it, but how do we present that to other people as they grow in a way that they get excited about it? Well, that's good. Well, you mentioned previously as well, the value of your driving to Florida as well. It gives you a lot of that time to uh, think and to process and to work through these issues, both in your preparations for being with family, as well as in reflecting and and processing through that, all that experience and all those thoughts on the way home. So it's funny too, cause you don't have to overthink this. Um, I, I say this gently, I'm the backup <laughs> pastor and, uh, you know, I love that we have a pastor that loves to preach, but I remember one time you got sick and I wasn't ready and I didn't tell you this, but I kind of swore to myself and God that that's not going to happen again. And so I'm always preparing now, if that makes any sense. And, uh, but I've been stuck in second Timothy two that whole time. So for nine months, I've been waiting to present this, these verses, but the reality is you can't finish your sermon 
because it's 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 relevant it's application relevant and so I must have changed that sermon. I probably have 10 sermons in <laughs> in all of my notes. I've got 20 pages of notes on 2 Timothy verse 2 chapter verses uh, 1 through 7, right? And and the reality is is that that's how good God's word is. You know, it's living and breathing and so as I think about verse 1 where it says be strong in the grace in Christ Jesus and then I think about eternity, it's completely applicable. It's completely you can fold in so much mm-hmm. into scripture. It's a really beautiful picture. No, I know what you mean. Uh, this last Sunday, which you haven't uh, heard yet, uh, it was one verse. So, right, <laughs> right, that's the way it goes. Well, thank you, Jim, and uh, we're we're definitely uh, glad that the Lord answered our prayer to give you a uh, safe return as well. So, we're glad to have you back and back to the podcast. And just a, a few uh, quick statements regarding just current events and the times that we live in uh, before we get into our next. Uh, element of the distinctives of Truth Family Bible Church. And we are recording in June, as I was even listening on the way over to a different uh, secular podcast, and there was a commercial for Dawn Soap. And they were proud of the last four years of their support of, of can- Cancel Pride uh, is, their, is their motto, is their, is their initiative. And uh, it just seems like everyone and everything is folding and is adopting, even Chick-fil-A, Jim, is going woke. And it's it's depressing in and it's supposed to be. That's that, that's the goal. That's the that's the effort. That's the campaign. The campaign is depression. The campaign is erosion and pressure. And I just wanted to give a, a few comments just regarding our role as believers and just to give you some encouragement as you view the world around you, which you should. You don't want to be a, an escapist and crawl in a hole and pull in the hole after you. That, that's not the approach of, of Christianity. We live in the real world, and so we have our eyes open, and we should be aware and, um, and, and processing these things, but to process them through a biblical lens. And it, it's really important for us to be those who are willing to stand even when we see the world around us fold. And there are people, though, that it becomes frustrating because you would think, oh man, Chick-fil-A, they're strong and and they're, you know, they're not they're not open on Sundays for crying out loud. They've already bucked the pressure. They're they're used to standing uh somewhat alone, and yet here they are folding. And um and it's just disappointing. And I just want to encourage you that it's that not everybody is folding. It, it's the impression given by the times and the media and the things that are out there. And it, it, there are uh, definitely things to be disappointed about, but I want you to be encouraged to not uh, comply, to not fold, to stand on the truth. That that is really the test of faithfulness is will you stand when everyone around you is going to fold? And when you think of Daniel especially and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that as everyone else around them is bowing down, as everyone else around them is complying and bowing to the pressure, they stood. And in a very real way, they stood alone. And it's just an encouragement to all of you, to wherever you are in whatever situation, whether it's in family relationships and gatherings, whether it's at your workplace, uh, whether it's in community organizations, whether it's community sports or other uh, engagements, it's just important that you have a resolve and a commitment 
to Christ that is willing to go to the cross if that's what he asks you to do. Uh, you don't go to the cross if you comply. You don't go to the cross if you capitulate and you bow to the pressure. Uh, Jesus went to the cross for the sake of what was right by what God had called him to do. And that's important for all of us, I think, to, uh, to recognize that we are not uh, called to protect ourselves, but ultimately to lay down our lives, if necessary, for the cause of Christ that he has given us. And so we, we just need to stand and, and to be bold. And sometimes that requires practice. Sometimes you have to build those muscles. And I, I just remember one of the things growing up that we took a stand on as a family is we refused to play on Sundays when it came to uh, organized sports. We weren't going to play on Sunday. And that was something where I was, it was just a small thing as a young boy, it's at least seemingly small, but it became something that was a muscle that was exercised and built a little bit to, to give me some measure of courage and willingness to stand alone. And I wasn't alone because I had my family behind me, but as a, as a young person, when everybody else on the team wants to play and wants me to play, and you know, you're not a team player, et cetera, et cetera, but there was convictions, there were standards, there were things that we believed in that were important to us. And so uh, that's when you really build those spiritual muscles to do what's right, even when all the pressure is to comply and to bow to that pressure. So Yeah, boy. And we, we talked about COVID. We talked about the lockdown. We talked about this isolating people. And that is their strategy, Danny. You said it, you said it just earlier as it relates to this. They want you to think that you're the only one that is rebelling against their version of the truth. And it's just not true. It's just not true. There's far more people out there than we know. Um, again, the beauty of driving across country, especially the way that I do is I get off the highways and I wind up in a diner in the middle of a, a rainstorm in the middle of Nebraska. And when you get down into there and you wear controversial shirts like I do, you see the number of people that support you. You see the number of people that are like-minded and it's far, far more than we know. And so don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie that you're isolated and that you can't stand for Christ. Don't because, get an Elijah complex. Right, because we can, we should, and we will. And if you need support and encouragement on that, grab me because I've got a couple t-shirts you can wear if you're a 3X. <laughs> <laughs> but just a reminder of what an Elijah complex is, right? The, uh, Elijah goes, I'm the only one left. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm so depressed. I'm so down. I'm the only one left. And, and the Lord has to remind him, no, 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 no. Uh, I forget what the number is, but I have, uh, I have uh, thousands of people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Right. And so uh, the, it, you're, you're not as alone as you think you are. You're not that special. Right. And so ultimately, since you're not that special, then do what's right. Right. Do what you're supposed to do. And, uh, and, and know that, that the Lord is with you. Yeah. And, and, that you're, and that you really aren't alone. Take courage that you're not alone. But the reality is we need to uh, have the resolve and, and, and not succumb to the pressure that's around us. And what I see is actually the, the encouraging thing is uh, I see good conservatives, not all Christian conservatives, but good conservatives um, that are like-minded. You got to be careful with like-minded because, you know, yesterday the Mormon church was like-minded with us on things like family and today they're gone. Um, but like-minded in this area. And so we had the target issue and there's a protest uh, against the things that they were carrying. And the conservatives did a great job of not going and shopping at target and their stock dropped 
$500 million, which is a praise God. And then the LGBTQ community comes out and they are very organized. You know, that was the thing that Kelly pointed out as you posted that was they're extremely organized, but they're a much smaller group than we are much, much smaller. And so I think learning the strategies of doing these protests together is a very effective tool. So I'm, I'm encouraged by that, if that makes any sense. And the neat part is target who doesn't have a standard. They don't know who they live for other than the world. They're down 500 million due to conservatives. Now they're going to drop another 200 million due to the very people that they were targeting these LGBTQ. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they can go out of business. That would be fine with me. Not soon enough. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Well, it's good. And we'll, we'll talk more about this in the, in the coming days as well. Uh, so thank you all for uh, your continual support and listening. We hope that this, these conversations that we're having in front of you are valuable to you as well. And we want to get back into our study that we have been engaging in related to our distinctives as a church. We hold as distinctive, again, not because we are the exclusive holders of it, but because as a distinctive, we say that these are these are marks of love, marks of care and interest and effort of upholding and and loving in our in the life of our church and in the teaching of our church. And so we've been studying the doctrines of grace with the acrostic familiar to us as TULIP. And so we return to our series uh, once again. Last time we covered the L for limited atonement, and I've said before, if the T is the key to understanding the other doctrines, and U is the most controversial doctrine, and the L is the most denied, then today's episode on the I of Tulip, it is the most neglected of the five. The first three get all the press. The debates and the controversies are centered around the first three primarily, but the fourth doctrine doesn't nearly get as much attention. Now, the I in TULIP stands for irresistible grace, the doctrine of irresistible grace. And it's not that the subject isn't without consequence or controversy, but it's that the other doctrines of election and limited atonement have tended to suck all the oxygen out of the room, that most often this doctrine gets very little attention and is often ignored altogether, which means that many people haven't given it a whole lot of thought. But like all of the rest of them, this teaching flows downstream from the doctrine of total depravity. If you understand that the Bible teaches that man is totally incapable of coming to God on his own, totally corrupted in every part of his being, totally unwilling to turn from his sin and to embrace the gospel, and totally incapable of a saving faith, then you begin to understand that God's grace is irresistible, or stated another way, efficacious. And we'll talk about the name and the definition of this doctrine here shortly, but another helpful way to understand the first four doctrines of grace is that total depravity is what man contributes to his salvation. We make the whole work of God in salvation necessary. Congratulations, that's your part. That's your role in salvation. You make it necessary by your depravity. We added sin to the good of God's creation. And this was ordained, of course, though, before the foundation of the world. We didn't catch God by surprise, but it was all of man's doing. God is not the author of sin. God did not make man sin. Our first parents fell from innocence and rebelled against God's command, and it was Adam's sin as the federal or representative head of the human race that determined that all of his progeny, all of his offspring, all his seed would inherit 
a nature that is sinful. Every part of humanity is corrupted by sin, that is, our mind and our will and our emotions, our affections, our bodies. Every part of us is corrupt, rendering us then incapable of coming to God in faith. So you have to realize you can't have faith because of your corruption. That's our contribution to the, to the dilemma of how man can be right with God is the sin of, depra- of, the, of our depravity. Nothing in us can accomplish that need of being right with God. But then the scripture reveals that God the Father predestined a people to be saved or redeemed from out of a world of sin. He chose to save some. And his choosing is called, of course, election. And we noted that the Father's choosing was not based on anything in man. There was nothing good or special about us to distinguish us from the rest of humanity. Those who are saved aren't saved because we're somehow better than other people. There there was nothing we did on our own to spark some positive interest in God toward us. And so his choosing of saints was based solely upon his love that by the kind intention of his will, before the foundation of the world, he chose to save unworthy and depraved sinners. His choice then to save some sinners was not based upon man's autonomous free will, because our will was enslaved to sin and our foolish heart was darkened. God the Father exercised his free will to love whom he wanted to love. I think about my calling, Danny, and you know, I was later, I was 30 and, uh, I grew up Catholic and, you know, listened to a ton of radio and things. So I'm sure I had heard the gospel. I'm sure I had heard about Jesus before, but not me. I, I walked into a movie theater, which happened to be a seeker sensitive church, which is an oxymoron, um, to hear a neighbor sing. And the call was effectual. It was my time before God through his word and the Holy spirit for me. It wasn't a year before. It wasn't later. It was that time, that theater, that moment. And I went in not thinking, oh, if I could just be convinced of faith. No, it was, I'm going in to hear a neighbor sing a song. I didn't know Scott could sing. And the light got turned on. And the light got turned on. That's what it was. That's all. And that's what we're really calling about, talking about ultimately in this doctrine is how does an elect sinner arrive at the, at the moment when they're, when the light comes on? Right, right. When, when, when that happens, and that's really what this is about. And, and when it comes to the doctrine of limited atonement, for instance, though a, a particular redemption, we see that the work of God the Son. We're, to, we're really what we're going to be highlighting here is the Trinitarian role, the, the role of 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 all three members of the Trinity of the Godhead involved in various aspects. And so uh, we were already talking about this idea of election and God's love, and in terms of the Father's role. And then now we come to the, the idea of the Son in limited atonement, where he goes to the cross on behalf of all the elect. Jesus died a substitutionary death on the cross in order to redeem all that the Father had given him. And his purpose in dying on the cross was not to make, we talked about this last time, not to make salvation possible for autonomous creatures to exercise their free will. His purpose in dying was to give himself as a suitable, propitiatory sacrifice to God, for the sins of the elect, who are not only Jews by birth and by covenant, but also for the elect throughout the whole world. 
And now when it comes to the doctrine of irresistible grace, we see the work of the Holy Spirit in applying God's grace to the elect for whom Christ died. And that's what you were referring to, Jim. The the Holy Spirit turned the light on for you at that moment in in that theater. Same gospel I'd probably heard many times before. Same words, probably. You know, many times I think about it. You know, it's presented in different formats in the Catholic Church, or I've heard it on the radio, or friends, the exact same words repeated, but this time... It was time. It was time. It was the Holy Spirit. That's right. That's right. And so uh, we supplied the depravity. The Father made his choice before the foundation of the world. The Son paid the price of sin and took the wrath of God in the place of elect sinners. And the Holy Spirit makes alive and effectually calls the sinner to receive the saving grace of God. And he does so at that point in time, right? He does so in time and space. Man brings forth depravity and the fullness of our triune God saves unworthy sinners in order to make us right with God. And so salvation is all of God. We call that monergism. Monergism is a great theological word, and its beginning signals the the main element of its meaning. The word monergism begins with mono, means one or single. And I was reminded of a couple of shooting sticks that uh, we use for hunting. Uh, One of our shooting sticks is a bipod, which, like a bicycle, has two wheels. A bipod has two legs for resting a gun in order to get a stable shot. You're familiar with a uh, a, a tripod, which we use for the stability, especially with a scope or a camera. But a monopod, uh, which I don't like those for shooting as much because they're just not as stable, but a monopod is like its name implies, it has one leg. Well, when we talk about salvation, it is not grounded or supported by more than one leg, as it were. It is grounded in God's work alone. It is one leg, but it's three persons, so it is very stable. And that is the second part of the word uh, ergism. Ergism uh, comes from ergon, which means to work. And so monergism, it's a single work. And so you put them together, monergism is that single work. It's a theological word that describes the work of salvation as being solely, singularly, a work of one. Salvation specifically is a work of God alone. And so it's not accomplished through a cooperative effort or a synergism where more than one person works together, does their part. It's not 50-50. And so listen to this definition of synergism. Synergism is the doctrine that individual salvation is achieved through a combination of human will and divine grace. And listen to this summary. The Father elects us in Christ, The Son redeems the same, and the Holy Spirit applies regeneration to all those the Father has given the Son. That's beautiful. The only synergism is within the Godhead. We are not part of the synergism. As I pointed out, we provide the sin that makes salvation necessary. We provide the sin for God then to to show himself great in his synergistic work within the Godhead, the single God in three persons. And so we come to irresistible grace. Again, it's the doctrine of the Holy Spirit's work in applying saving grace to an elect sinner. We've discussed the alternative names of of other doctrines. And irresistible grace also goes by some other names. Some have called it applied grace. Uh, But more commonly, it goes by the phrase effectual calling. And I think that name is more clear than irresistible grace. Uh, Irresistible grace is a fine term. But I'll explain there's irresistible grace as we go along. But the predominance 
of the biblical language deals with calling, and that's what we will mostly see when we get into the Scripture. Let's start by defining what this doctrine is claiming to teach, and then we will look at the biblical passages that formed it. I want you to listen to Boyce and Riken from their book. Um, I believe it's called The Doctrines of Grace, but it might be something different. I forget the title off the top of my head. Uh, They say this, quote, When God calls us to faith in Jesus Christ, he calls effectively, succeeding in his purpose to save us. The grace of God's calling is overwhelmingly efficacious. A good way of expressing this is to say that the Holy Spirit regenerates us, giving us a new nature, as a result of which we naturally do what the new nature does. That is, we believe the gospel, repent of our sin, and trust in Christ unto salvation. End quote. So it is not that man doesn't resist. See, Jim, you are resisting. Right. It isn't even the elect men and women. It's not that we don't resist. It's that when God appoints an elect person to be converted and saved in time, the resistance to the gospel is always overcome by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Not only is the resistance of the elect weak and futile. I mean, imagine. He's batting a thousand. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> imagine, see, this is part of the problem. When we have a, a high view of man and a low view of God, uh, we think that that we have the power to move God or to restrain him or to keep him at bay. The reality is, as you say, he's batting a thousand, that every Every person upon whom God's electing love has been set, he overcomes their sin, he overwhelms their resistance, and his grace is powerful then to save. And I love the picture while we were yet enemies. I mean, the idea that Christ would go across the battle line to his enemy, successfully snatch you, and bring you back. Convert you <laughs> and bring you back to fight against the very place you were that's just a minute ago. That's right. That's that's the plan. That's, that's what's playing out in eternity, guys. That's no, that's super good. Beautiful. Yeah. Not only is our resistance weak and it's futile in comparison to almighty power of God, but the grace of God then becomes irresistibly attractive to the elect so that they happily receive it. So that's one of the things I like to say is nobody comes into the kingdom of God kicking and screaming. You don't, you're forcing me against my will. No, your will is changed. Your will is engaged, but it, it has been changed. And so the depravity of man is then overcome and it's overwhelmed by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, who regenerates the sinner. And just to make clear, again, our definitions, what does regeneration mean? Well, it means to make alive. He gives the elect sinner a new heart. He removes the dead heart of stone and gives us a spiritual heart of flesh that actually beats with spiritual life. Put another way, the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see and ears to hear, where before we were blind and deaf to the things of God. Well, let's talk a little bit about this issue of resistance. Clearly, depraved people, that is every natural-born son and daughter of Adam, is resistant to the gospel, is resistant to the general call of God's grace. This doctrine isn't saying that God's gracious message of salvation in Christ is incapable of being resisted. That's not what we're saying. Even the elect resist God's grace. But that resistance by the elect is always overcome by the working power of God in the Holy Spirit 
to bring that object of grace into a new relationship with God. And sometimes, as Jim said, it happens to an older person at God's appointed time, and you were 30 years old by the time God's effectual call reached your heart. Uh, Other people, it comes younger. Some people, it's even later, Jim. Sometimes we're hoping that people later in life, uh, sometimes it's even on their deathbed, that they finally relent that the Spirit of God comes upon them to save them. Uh, That's God's territory, and that's God's will and purpose. Uh, the I think of the the, the parable of the of the workers. Some people are work uh, are, are hired early, and other people's are people are hired late. But they all get the same wage. It's uh, it, it's all the same outcome. But that's for the determiner of the one who hires the person to decide. And so anyway, uh, that's just a, an, an aside. But I think it's really great. Yeah, that whole labor thing. That's a whole other podcast. That's so relevant today. Of you know, I deserve more because of person X. That's the world we live in today. That's a whole nother podcast. I love that, that parable of the worker. It's a really important one. That's right. You provide the work. God provides the provision. Take it or leave it. That's right. That's right. Uh, More on this issue of resistance, consider Acts 7, uh, verses 51 to 53. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always... uh, Wait, something's right. I didn't seem right there uncircumcised in heart and heart and ears, are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. So here's a passage where Stephen, this is Stephen's sermon, uh, just prior to his execution, his, he's gonna, uh, his point here in these verses is about to be proven in, in stoning here shortly. Here's a passage where Stephen is preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit affirms that the listening Jews were known for, characterized by their historical and personal resistance to the Holy Spirit, he says. How about Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That sounds like resistance, right? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And so here you have Saul, one who was resisting the Spirit of God by way of his persecution, and had his resistance then overcome by the power of God. And this unusual example of God's power pictures the normative experience of every believer, who at first resists, who fights against, who refuses to submit, and then the person of Christ in the gospel is made plain through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. The spiritual scales on our eyes fall off, and we see the truth with eyes of faith for the first time. And so the main point here is that resistance is real and possible But for the elect, God always overcomes that resistance with his power, meaning saving grace 
is irresistible. Yeah, and resistance is, is, that's all we can do when we are not saved, if that makes any sense. That is all we know. And so we do fight it. We are Romans 1 at that point. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, that, that's, that's very true. I, I want you to listen to a few quotations on this subject. The Westminster Confession of Faith says, All those whom God has predestined unto life, and those only, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time, effectually to call by his word and spirit, out of that state of death in which they are by nature, to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills, and by his almighty power determining them to that, determining them to that which is good, and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as they come most freely, being made willing by his grace. We, are, we have to be made willing to come to God, and we do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Martin Luther wrote this, quote, When God works in us, the will is changed under the sweet influence of the Spirit of God. Once more, it desires and acts, not of compulsion, but of its own desire and spontaneous inclination. Once again, he's just saying, we do desire to come to God. We do so freely of our will, recognizing that our will had to be changed, and that comes by the sweet influence of the Spirit of God. Another one, John Murray said, quote, God's call, since it is effectual, carries with it the operative grace whereby the person called is enabled to answer the call and to embrace Jesus Christ as he is freely offered in the gospel. Well, let's also now look at this matter of God's call. And the first thing we need to point out is that there are two kinds of calls in the Scripture. Jim and I were talking about this uh, before the podcast uh, this morning, before we were uh, we hit record, the idea of the two kinds of calls in the Scripture. The first kind of call is the general call. Also, we refer to it as the universal call. Uh, it's also referred to sometimes as the external call. Well, what is this general, universal, external call? The general call is the external, general, and universal message of the gospel that is preached to every person. This call is the wide net. It is the indiscriminate broadcasting of seed by the sower. If you recall the parable of the sower, the seed goes everywhere. It lands on the road. It lands in thorny ground. It, it lands in in uh, uh, tilled soil ready for uh, the Spirit of God to act. It goes everywhere. Just to make this relevant, it goes during Pride Month. Th this is part of what you're saying for us to stand firm in God's Word against the evils of the wor world is this is part of our general calling. We are called to do this. So, you know, we're not called to fold and give in and go shop at Target. We're, we're called to fight and resist this for the purpose of truth, for the purpose of true love, for the purpose of glorifying God through this general call. Very true. We, what is the message of the gospel? Jesus is Lord. Right. So if since he is Lord, we should not and must not bow. And we win. That's right. That's yeah. right. So yeah, this call is the is the go tell it on the mountain. This is the this is the broad uh, casting of the net of being fishers of men. Uh, I explained to somebody we were fishing, actually. I, I think I was explaining to 
uh, one of the Wilkie children, the idea of, you know, we're, we're called to be fishers of men. And just like we were sitting there fishing, it doesn't mean we're always catching, but we keep casting. We keep, we keep throwing it out there and we trust the Lord for the catching. And, uh, and that's a really good picture of this idea of this general call. We're going fishing. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That was a general call to the people to come to him. John seven thirty seven. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. This is the universal call of evangelism, calling people to repent and believe the gospel. This call is resisted all the time. I think about all the all the fish that swam by our lures and swam by our bait and resisted the temptation, <laughs> the good temptation to uh, to jump on our hook. Uh, this call is is routinely rejected in sin and unbelief, but the offer is real for anyone who will respond to the message. This is a loving call. It is a call that is given in hope. And Scripture affirms in Matthew 22, it says, Many are called, but few are chosen. And we must remember that it is a call that no natural man can respond to on his own. And this is why we must not adulterate the gospel, because no slick marketing, no attractive packaging, no rounded corners or smooth edges of our cultural accommodation will ever help a natural man to understand the things of God. The message of Christ is similar to what you said earlier, Jim. It's the same message that you probably heard before. It's not that the message needed to be changed in order to figure out what's that, what's that key that unlocks Jim's heart. That's, that's, not what needs to, that's not what we need to be looking for. We need to take the banner, wave the flag of Christ, uh, to, to take what has been given to us in the true and pure message of the gospel, and then we are dependent not on our slick ability to convince people or to manipulate them into the kingdom— but rather we are dependent upon then the Holy Spirit to apply that truth. And this is all our jobs. This is not just for the pastor to preach on Sunday. It's not for the street evangelists like Jesse and Mike to go out and do on the street. This is all of our calling. This is this general call. It's everything that we do in life, all of life for God. And so important for us to do. Even inviting people to church, I think about us, our neighbors invited us 10 or 15 times, Danny, same invitation every time, politely saying no thank you, politely saying no thank you, politely saying no thank you. Politely resisting. Finally, yep. accepting, not for the purpose of going to church. We were going to hear him sing. That was the only reason. Oh, that's new. So hmm. as many times as we said no, they did their job in, they kept asking. And that's all. That's all we can do. I love Judy, my wife. She's taken this and adopted it. She says, if you're in, she goes, if I ask you to church and you say no, she'll say at least they were invited. And that's just such a beautiful idea for us is, is don't focus on the rejection. Focus on the fact that you opened an invitation to this calling, this, this, this common calling that we're all called to do. So that's right. That's right. We, we are sowers, right? And um, we recognize the scripture in First Corinthians uh, talks about that God gives the increase. Other right. people have the job of watering, for instance. Right. But we all are to be uh, sowing. We are to be uh, uh, watering and cultivating. But the reality is that we are dependent upon God to bring forth life. Yep. 
Well, so we have the universal call or the general call, but now we want to highlight these, this thing called the internal call um, or the specific or limited call, also known as, again, the effectual call. All of these names refer to a distinct kind of calling that is experienced only by those who are saved. And this is where God is gracious to bring the elect to saving faith. A great analogy of this spiritual reality is the story of Lazarus in John 11. Lazarus is dead and he's decaying. Uh, remember, by now, Lord, he surely stinketh. Right. Uh, reminds me of the King James. Uh, by, the, by the time Jesus arrives, uh, he's decaying. Lazarus may have ears, but he cannot respond to a general call to life from his friends. As a dead corpse, Lazarus was incapable of answering any external calls. But because Jesus loved him, he determined to give Lazarus a specific and effectual call, whereby Jesus called him by name and Lazarus came forth. And the illustration here is that when God calls someone he has chosen to love, that spiritually dead sinner receives that call internally and is awakened. He comes then to spiritual life. Death has no resistance to the power of God. That's the beautiful picture of this story with Lazarus. Death has no resistance to the power of God. God's grace in that way is irresistible. And so when he calls, those he has chosen come to spiritual life. The effectual call of God is irresistible. Now, did you say this, or did I hear this from a, another pastor? If if Jesus didn't name Lazarus, that all the all the dead would give and walk out. It was just kind of a funny. I brought way it up as something I've heard. I, I, I've I'm not original. It was just with a me. funny way of thinking. Yes, about it. yes. <laughs> but that's how powerful it is. I mean, if if that was his desire and plan, God is capable of doing that. Now that's that right. Wasn't but the he's plan. but he's chosen to love some. Right. And that's one of the things that that when uh, when we think about the Bible trivia answer, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? And it's Jesus wept two right. words. And this was the occasion. Right. He, he, he wept at the tomb, and people were marked at how much Jesus loved Lazarus. And that's the thing I love is that the call is so specific and individual, and that just makes sense. That's such a beautiful picture, and it, it has to be. It's individual. And that goes back to what ties into what we talked about last time, is that in terms of the idea of limited atonement, it, it's, it means that Jesus died for you by name. By name. Right? He oh. died for you as a person. Uh, individually, not as a potential that hopefully you'll f come to this conclusion Depending on your own. Depending what you do, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so God's power, his grace, is irresistible to the power of resurrection to spiritual life. Well, let's consider just a few more texts of Scripture that speak about this effectual and irresistible calling. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us, so he's talking about the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Just highlighting once again, Salvation is about the power of God to overcome our resistance as dead, 
dead sinners. Oh, and a beautiful verse back to Pride Month. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Such an important concept. Mm -hmm. And, you know, who's Paul talking to here? Timothy. Not just any Timothy, Pastor Timothy. And Pastor Timothy that he installed, and Paul was the pastor there before him. And so this is an important calling and idea for every member of Christ. That's it's, right. No matter how mature you think you are or how immature you are, do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even pastors have to be reminded of that. Exactly. Especially pastors have to be reminded of that. Exactly. And uh, I think I'm glad you brought that up, right? This idea of why would you be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord? And and th when when it comes to the power of the pressure of the world, when it comes to uh, what the world is is trying to get you to do, or, or what the world says is everyone is doing it, and you have to come back to the power of the gospel and go, but that has nothing on the power of God. It's such a beautiful picture, and and we know this in Second Timothy, the church has fallen apart in Ephesus. Everyone's leaving, and Timothy's faith is waning. I mean, I could preach on this, right? I mean, this is such a beautiful book. So if you don't love the book of Second Timothy, talk to Jim. <laughs> Sounds good. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Uh, the peace that can live within your heart is grounded in the reality that you were called, and, and that's the effectual call. Second Thessalonians, this is a really great passage, Second Thessalonians 2.13 and 14, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you were called through our gospel, through the preaching of this message. That's what the Holy Spirit used to call you. And again, just highlighting that element of the call to sinners to be saved is heeded. Well, there's, there's many more, but the big idea is that we can plead, we can call for people to come to Christ in salvation, we can do our best, we can make it clear, we can faithfully exposit, we can make an appeal, but for the people who hear the outward plea, we are dependent upon the call of God, the effectual call of God, to be received internally. So we are dependent upon God. It's, it's not ours to manipulate or to force. Now, I want to point uh, out something else about the special internal and irresistible call of God, and that is that the church, the ecclesia, which means called out ones, the church is the assembly of those called out of the world and into saving fellowship with Christ and the saints who are his called out ones. But listen to this quote from Donald Gray Barnhouse. Quote, if men heed no more than the outward call, they become members of the visible church. If the inward call is heard in our hearts, we become members of the invisible church. The first call unites us merely to a group of professing members. But the inward call unites us to Christ himself and to all that have been born again. The outward call may bring with it a certain intellectual knowledge of the truth. That just reminds me of the of James, right? The demons believe. Such an important concept. They have an intellectual knowledge. I was just talking about this with Jack Danny. It's such an important concept. It's the idea of, and it was a Pew study that just came out, 
of members, this means that they have signed a membership in a church, are unbelievers. They, they actually went out and interviewed people and they, they truly thought that they were believers. So they had in their mind that this intellectual concept of this easy believism that's out there has created a, a group of people in the church. And we know this, Danny, we know this well, that there are so many people that are going to church that are not truly saved. And scary concept, very scary, because you, you think you think you're safe. You think that you're going to heaven. And, you know, that's, as Pastor Randy says, the scariest verse in the Bible, right? You know, he turns them away and did not know you. Lord, Lord. Right. right. That's right. No, so the, uh, Donald Barnhouse here is is just making that clear distinction that just because you're at church doesn't mean that there, that the internal call has been received. You may have just been responding in some measure to an outward call, but it's not uh, it's not from the heart. Uh, continuing his quotation here, it says, "...the inward call brings us the faith of the heart, the hope which anchors us forever to Christ, and the love which must ever draw us back to him who first loved us. The one can end in formalism, the other in true life. The outward call may curb the tendencies of the old nature and keep a soul in outward morality, the inward call will cure the plague that is in us and bring us on to triumph in Christ. And so while there is, again, value and benefit of heeding the external call, this is gets to the, some of the Christian nationalism discussion and debate going on where some people are like, hey, we don't care anything about the outward call, it's all about the inward call. Well, it is both, but the reality of eternity, the reality of, of salvation, does indeed come down to the inward call. And for that, there is nothing that we do to bring that about. We simply are faithful with the Word, and God uses that by His Spirit to bring about new life in the effectual call. This is a wonderful doctrine and something to improve our worship in. This is not just theory. This is something to think about, to care about, and to worship God for as we think rightly. And you can tell already that as we've already mentioned, there are practical implications for what we believe on this subject, because if you don't believe that that it's about the effectual call and the work of the Holy Spirit, then you may be tempted to manipulate. Uh, you may be tempted to get slick and cool and accommodate and nuance and do all these other types of things that are not really faithful. They're your efforts to try to convince a person who has a, an autonomous free will, rather than we preach the gospel, and the Lord is the one who brings the increase. He is the one that bears that that causes life to grow, and we just are we give it to Him, and we're dependent upon Him for that. And so these are not fringy doctrines at all. These are all over the Scripture, and it's something for us to continue to study for the rest of our days. Well, that's all the time though we have for truth today. We want to thank you for joining us, and until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and commitment to Christ and His Church. As we are sanctified in the truth, God's word is truth.